Section twenty four of A Fair Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Fair Mystery by Bertha M. Clay. Section twenty four The False Lips of Women. Earle was not the only one who found Doris changed. She had hastened home from that interview, almost wild with excitement. Could it be that the wildest dream of her life was realized at last, that this handsome lord had offered her every luxury in the world? It seemed too bright a vision to be real. She was obliged to look again at the diamond on her finger to convince herself of its truth. Mark Brace and his wife, as well as Mattie, wondered when Doris reached home, where her animation and high spirits had gone. Mattie spoke, and she seemed hardly to hear her. Her mother asked some trifling question, and she made no answer. She was like one in a dream. As a rule, she was the delight and torment of Mark's life. As they sat together in the evening, she would puzzle him with questions. She would tease, irritate, charm, and annoy him. But on this night Doris said no word, and Mark fancied it was because Earle was away. He sat looking at her with great solemn eyes, wondering who could fathom the mysteries of a woman's heart he had never thought doris fond of earle yet there she was wretched and miserable and lonely because he was away how little he guessed that in her mind earle was already of the past she had loved him as well as it was in her power to love any one but that was not much and now that the grand temptation of her life was before her all regard for earle sank into insignificance she was faint with wonder and amazed that she doris brace should have made such a conquest her heart beat with delight then sank with fear was he only trifling with her this handsome lord her face flushed proudly if i thought he was only trifling with me she said to herself i would know how to treat him then one look at the jewel on her finger reassured her gentlemen do not give jewels that cost hundreds of pounds unless they really love and intend marriage there was some assurance of success in the gleam of the diamond she had been obliged to remove the ring lest her mother and mattie might see it on the following morning earle hastened to brackenside he was longing to see his lady love again she was so kind to him when they parted she had been so unusually gentle that he had longed for more kindness he was at brackenside before the breakfast was finished one look at that beautiful face of his love sufficed she was dreamy abstracted she seemed hardly to notice his entrance no light came in her eyes when she spoke to him as she did not make room for him by her side when he went up to her and tried to kiss the face he loved so well she drew back not angrily but carelessly i never said you might kiss me every day earl she said i know my darling but i cannot help it it has grown into a custom now when anything becomes a custom it ceases to be a charm she said with unconscious philosophy earl looked down sadly at her doris he said you are so sadly changed to me i cannot understand it dear you say that i have not displeased you no she said carelessly i am not in the least displeased then what have i done my darling i love you too madly to suffer anything to come between us if i could win your love by dying for it i would cheerfully die tell me what i can do to make you as you were once to me she raised her head impatiently you are always talking nonsense earl i cannot regulate my words and thoughts as i would regulate a clock i cannot undertake to always be the same you are charming but your variety used to be one of your greatest charms i do not complain of that the summer sky changes it goes from crimson to blue and then white you change from grave to gay and in each mood you seem to me most charming it is not that now what is it then she asked he looked so wistfully at her that if she had any heart it must have been touched 
i can hardly tell i dare not even to myself say what your manner seems to me doris you cannot surely repent having promised to marry me it cannot be that his honest eyes grew so dim with pain his face grew so white she would sooner heartless coquette as she was have stabbed him to the heart than have answered yes she turned away from him i suppose you cannot help talking nonsense earl i am not sentimental myself and so much of it wearies me when you can talk about anything else i shall be glad as soon as she could she quitted the room and earl was at a loss to know what to do or say he tried to comfort himself she is so beautiful my darling he said tenderly and beauty is always capricious but it is the caprice of a young girl i must be patient he tried to school himself to patience but he felt unutterably sad there was something in her manner he could not understand i know what lovers quarrels are he thought to himself they are the renewal of love but i cannot understand this dark cold shadow which comes between us and seems to hide from me the beauty and light of her face he went out and tried to interest himself in his work thinking to himself that her mood would soon change and then the sun would shine for him again but he found work impossible he could think of nothing else but the loved one's face with the shadow on it he went through the meadows and stood leaning over the gate when mattie saw him she watched him for some minutes in silence her sweet homely face full of wistful anxiety her eyes full of tenderest love to her simple mind he was as far above her as the angels were but she loved him as she had never loved any one else she had feared greatly for him and it had been some relief to her to find that doris had really promised to marry him and intended to keep her word it was the first time since she had heard the news of the engagement that she had seen that look of doubt almost despair on his face and it troubled her greatly what can have happened she said to herself with a sudden sense of foreboding it seemed to her what she had always dreaded had come at last involuntarily the girl clasped her hands god save earl she said and then she went up to him she spoke twice to him before he heard her then she started in alarm as the white face with his expression of bitter sorrow was turned to her earl what has happened nothing he replied then the sweet mild sympathizing face reproached him with kindness nothing has happened mattie he said but i am not happy i am afraid that i have grieved doris what have you done to her she asked briefly that is what i want to find out and cannot he replied tell me mattie have you noticed a change in her yes replied the young girl gravely i have ill ever since the day she went to the castle i wish she had never seen it we were very happy until then yes we were happy he replied sadly what has changed her mattie tell me truthfully never mind about giving me pain i think she saw and envied all the magnificence that was there said mattie our simple home and homely ways have been disagreeable to her ever since will it pass away he asked anxiously we must have patience with her mattie who can wonder at it she is so young and so lovely it seems only natural that she should care most for what is bright and beautiful downsbury castle seemed like a fairyland to her no wonder that after it we all seem a little tame and dull you can never be tame earl said the girl indignantly how can you say such a thing tame indeed i should like to say what i think on the matter her warm sympathy somewhat reassured him he looked up at her you do not think then that it is anything serious mattie i am so glad one so gay and bright as doris naturally tires of a quiet home i do not think home so very quiet you are always there and she ought to find her happiness in your society i am sure she does he replied hastily unable to cast even the shadow of blame on her but you see dear i love her so that a shadow on her fair face drives me mad you worship her earl said mattie gravely and in this weary world a man or woman commits that sin of idolatry is certain to suffer for it 
"'What can I do to win her smiles again?' asked the young lover. "'I do not know, Earl. I wish your happiness did not depend so entirely on her smiles.' "'It is too late to remedy that,' replied Earl. As he spoke, he saw in the distance the glimmer of her dress between the trees. "'There she is!' he cried. "'I will go to her.' His face flushed crimson, and Mattie watched him sadly as he hastened after her sister. "'How he loves her!' she thought. "'Poor Earl! He has no life apart from her. It is almost pitiful to see him.' Doris, believing herself unseen, had gone out hoping to avoid Earl. She liked him too well to pain him, yet every moment she was drawing nearer to the precipice. Anything, she said to herself, is better than the sight of that pained face. She resolved to go down to the Thorpe Meadow, and while away an hour or two there. Earl would not dream of looking for her. So she went. Taking with her one of her favourite French novels, she found a seat in a shady nook. She opened the novel, but she could not read. The romance of her own life was more exciting to her now than any other, that wild romance of which the outward symbol was a diamond ring. She took the ring from her purse and placed it on her finger. How it shone and gleamed and glittered! So may the eye of the serpent have glittered in the garden of paradise. She held out her hand the better to admire it. Her lover's words came back to her. I will hang jewels on your beautiful neck and round your white arms. Her heart beat fast. That would indeed be a triumph. Was there anything else in the wide world compared to this? Besides, the young lord sincerely loved her. Had he not so declared, with passion and truth burning in his eyes? What was Earl's love, the love of a poor poet, to the passionate rapture of a rich young lord, who was willing to marry her, and would crown her with the rarest gems, give her every luxury in life? As the thought crossed her mind, Earl drew near. At first, unobserved by her, his eyes at once alighted upon the ring. "'That is a beautiful ring, Doris,' he said, "'and a costly one. Who gave it to you?' He took her hand and held it tightly in his own, while his face grew deadly pale. "'I know but little of jewels,' he continued, "'but I can tell that this is costly and valuable. Who gave it to you?' Her face flushed deepest crimson, her eyes flashed fire. "'That is no business of yours,' she replied." but rather to her surprise earl showed no fear of her anger nor irresolution i have a right to ask he said you are my promised wife who gave you that jewel you wear on your hand i refuse to answer she replied doris he said and there was more of contempt than of pain in his voice doris has that anything to do with your coldness to me for one moment she looked at him steadily then she seemed to remember that defiance and denial would be useless would only cause injuries her only way out of the difficulty lay in untruth. She smiled sweetly in his face. "'My jealous Earl,' she said, "'who do you think gave me this ring?' "'I cannot tell,' he replied gravely. "'Will you promise, if I tell you, never to mention it?' "'I promise faithfully, Doris. "'Lady Estella Hereford gave it to me on the day I went to Downsbury Castle. "'Are you jealous of her, Earl?' "'No, my darling. "'I hope that the time may come when I shall bring you even brighter jewels than this.' and he kissed the fair, false hand as he spoke. End of section 24